Hey, wonderfuls! Happy New Year! It is 2023, my friends, and we are looking right down the barrel of 298, episode 298 of the JV Club with Amy Nicholson. I agree, it did just sound like I was saying my own podcast name for the first time. Not really sure what that was about, but I know you are going to love this episode with the very fine Amy Nicholson. She is a film critic for the New York Times, a Variety, among other places, but uh, also key to know she has a fabulous podcast called Unspooled with the one and only Paul Shear, in which they talk uh, movies. And uh, there are many episodes waiting for you now to check out. You can get it anywhere you get podcasts. I also want to give a quick shout out to past JV Club guest and friend of this show, Gabrielle Ruiz. She released a fantastic uh, Christmas single, uh, Twinkle Twinkle. I encourage you to check that out. She's wonderful. And also just starred in Dance Dad's another charming feature uh, premiered at the Austin Film Festival. So wanted to give her a shout out and uh, tell you guys to check those things out. By the time you hear this, I will be getting so, so very close to being up in San Francisco for SF Sketchfest. I certainly hope to see some of you there in person. If you're at a show and you see me running around like crazy in producer mode, don't hesitate to give me a shout out and wave. And if I can give you a quick COVID-free hug, I certainly will. There's so many amazing shows to check out at the festival. Visit sfsketchfest.com for more info. I'm going to be doing a bunch of shows there. Um, like, I'm embarrassed to say I'm doing so many shows that you might as well just go to sfsketchfest.com. And when you click on tickets and schedule, you can actually search by name and you can look to see the different stuff that I'm on. Um doing Braving the Elements and Hey Riddle Riddle the very first weekend of Sketchfest. Got some Spont Tour Co. and some theme park happening later on in the festival. Cannot wait to celebrate our, finally, our 20th year of the festival uh, in person. It's going to be a blast. So hope to see some of you. In the meantime, enjoy this episode with Amy. And again, Happy New Year. Let me tell you something. I just finally watched the uh, Ronnie Spector documentary or documentary series, I guess. I don't know if it's a Showtime or... Um, but it is another situation where you're like, now I hear... I mean, I can appreciate the beautiful work that the musicians did on it. But like so many other things, now whenever I hear any song that sounds like it might be Ronnie Spector, I'm like... Ugh. Like... Uh. Let me just think about this guy for a second. Oh no, I He's love not her great. so much. And I, Sorry, I, I mean, do it. I mean I mean Ronnie Spector? But uh, wait, don't I mean what's his name? Oh, yeah, her, Phil Spector. Uh, yeah, Phil, Phil Spector. Spector. I know. Sorry, Ronnie. Sorry, Ronnie. Sorry, Ronnie. Well, but that's exactly the thing. It's like you can't hear her songs without hearing him. Oh but god, her songs and then are all the these other and- all these other musicians too, and like, ugh. Anyway, and no, what a weirdo. What an absolute weirdo. <laughs> it's almost like when people have too much unchecked power in any realm or industry that they're in, there's a real danger there. It's almost like that. Well, it always works out great, she says in a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you're. I, I know that we are not a visual podcast, but you do have a beautiful background. We were speaking of it earlier. Um, will you please t- tell people uh, what your hometown is and what I specifically am looking at? Yeah, my hometown is San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. the seventh biggest city in America, a fact that surprises mm-hmm. people every single time that I say uh-huh. it. But- I love to rep it. Love to rep San Antonio. And so I put up as my background our Riverwalk, probably the most famous mm. 
No, second famous. Oh my gosh, I was about to get shot and killed by all the Texas uh, people. <laughs> the Alamo is our most famous thing. But then we have this beautiful river leading up to it with a bunch of uh, margarita restaurants where you can get very expensive enchiladas. And if I told you that I was going to be in San Antonio next week for Christmas, because that is where my sweetie's family is from, so I've been there many times, would that come as a surprise to you? It would, because I just always feel like every time I say San Antonio, people blink and they're like, how close is it to Austin? Looking for a yeah. frame of reference. Which, by the way, not that far. So got not some of the far. spillover vibes of Austin, which is very nice. But keep all the all the lame people out of San Antonio. Oh, wait, no, okay. I should actually reverse that because, you know, Austin used to have that bumper sticker, Keep Austin Weird. Keep and, Austin Weird. And we had two that we made in opposition because there's a real tension, I would say, between our cities or a little bit of yeah. huffiness. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were Keep San Antonio Metal, which I appreciate, and Love also it. Keep San Antonio Lame, which I appreciate on even a deeper level. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I did that for the first time? We've been, he and I have been together for uh, almost eight years, but I had never been there at the same time as. I mean, is it just called Fiesta? I'm so sorry. I'm from Tucson, so all we do is celebrate Mexican holidays. But that is not one that has ever, though, ever touched Tucson. Is that? Is it just called Fiesta? Or am I? Yeah, yeah it's just straight up called Fiesta, and it's huge. It's and you were there, charming. I was there. Yeah, I went to the like a, a market and street fair and like galleries, and you know, went to one of the st- Fiesta stores there that just has like miles and miles of beautiful Mexican dresses of which I already own too many the little embroidered hand embroidered dresses and it felt I was like oh and which is one of the reasons I love San Antonio is that it's very different from from Tucson in many many ways but um but the celebration of Mexican culture is extremely familiar to me and feels like home so I really like I really like I just love that aspect of it yeah, it almost feels like kind of a culture that if you're from one of those cities, like Tucson or from San Antonio, when you go to lots of random cities, they also feel kind of specially magically at home. Like I feel that way in yeah. Santa Fe. I feel that way yes, in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Where it's absolutely. like, oh, this is, I feel comfortable here. I feel rooted here. Absolutely. How long did you live there before you moved away? And where did you move to? <laughs> yeah, I was there from five to 18. Um, okay. Before I moved there, I was born in Michigan. And when we moved to Texas when I was five, my parents gave me a book like explaining what Mexican food was to like so, to get me ready to move to Texas because I was a little kid. Was like, it like a little go. picture book like tamale next page? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, in Michigan, you just have hard shell taco night with ground beef. So they're like, no, 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 no. Now you're and going lots to have of the sour cream. Thing. Exactly. They really were like, eat everything when you arrive. You must be an adventurous eater in San Antonio. And yeah, yeah. I was there till I was 18. And then I went to Oklahoma for college, which... I also like to rep because it's Oklahoma. You know, people, yeah. we're, we have lovely things in Oklahoma as well. In Oklahoma City or in elsewhere? Uh, Norman. It's the college town that's oh. right underneath Oklahoma City. It's like half Absolutely. an hour away. Yeah. A lot of cool yeah. people are from there. Elizabeth Warren was born there, which I didn't know until she was running for president. Yeah, for sure. Well, weirdly, uh, Brandon's uh, Brandon from San Antonio's uh, best friend is from Oklahoma City and lives there with his marvelous professor wife, who doesn't teach at Norman, but who was teaching up in uh, college in Canada. And then I think now is doing some sort of like online stuff. But um, so I also have like a lot of affection towards Oklahoma for not being there or have ever having lived there. I have um, a feeling we could do like a detour mini episode of this podcast that would just be like figuring out how I know your boyfriend and through who. And I'm so <laughs> tempted, but I will spare everyone that. 
He's also a journalist, so we'll get there. We'll get. We'll, we'll, we we might get there. Yeah, offline, we might get there. Um, and so, was your high school in San Antonio like a big uh, public school, or were you tucked in somewhere a little more quiet? Yeah, I did the public school thing up until eighth grade, and then when I was a freshman, my parents forced me, really against my will, to go to an all girls Catholic school in San Antonio, um. Incarnate Word. There's a there's a couple all girls Catholic ones, and that's sort of the one with the. We had the most plaid skirts. We have the older history. Uh (laughs) We have the most nuns, probably. We had a lot of Irish Catholic nuns. And so I... You know, really, we just had the most re-rooted. nuns. Probably is very satisfying <laughs> to me. Like, I know, don't no, hold me to that. Do not hold me to that. But I do suspect we did have the most nuns. Right now, I'm like, oh man, some girl from Providence is going to be like, you don't even know how many <laughs> nuns we had. We had so many nuns. <laughs> Incarnate word is for an for a non Catholic sounds a little bit intimidating, possibly threatening. Yeah, I am a non-Catholic, and I was when I went there, too. And I was like, what? Why? Uh-huh. But we had to take religion classes and do the whole thing. We watched the movie Ghost in religion class for some reason so that we could what? take a... Yeah, we had this nun who uh, made us take a whole class in the things our bodies do after we die, which is, you know, learning a multiple choice answers to a whole lot of nonsense. Oh, yeah, we're going to teleport. It'll be so sweet. I got to I got I to take this in for a second. Hang on. Number one, isn't there like witchy, witchy voodoo in there? Now, I will suggest, and perhaps you've come to this conclusion already, with or without your friend Paul Shear, did she was she just a fan of Whoopi Goldberg because of Sister Act and was like, let me like retcon ghost to incorporate my favorite nun, Whoopi Goldberg, into also being a fake psychic? You know, I never put that Sister Act connection together, and now my entire life is clicking back into sense, because that has always been a memory from school where I was like, we did that? What? Yeah. People are like, you recommend a Catholic school education? I don't know, honestly. I saw a ghost. That's fascinating. Okay, so if you could, yeah, elaborate a little bit more on how ghost is a good teaching tool for what happens to your body after you die. Yeah, I kind of think it was really just... A, a sales pitch that if you stay Catholic, cool things will happen to you. Maybe when you're dead, you kind of how the Catholic Church has always operated. You know, like, eh, give us your money now. Suffer, suffer, suffer. Go fight in this war. But when right. you're dead, it's going to be so sweet, bro. You're going to love it. Be running around on these clouds. But and- in Ghost, doesn't he get trapped in, like, <laughs> the world? And, like, because he was murdered horribly and he has, like, unfinished business and he needs to, like, get the murderer caught? How is that? Well, How yeah. is that a Catholic promise? But doesn't he also <laughs> still kind of get to bone? <laughs> I mean, I they definitely... Wait, do they do pottery together after he's a ghost? No, that's before he's a ghost, I think. I think it's... Well, he's in Whoopi. Right? He's he's in oh god yeah he's definitely in Whoopi he's definitely in Whoopi I don't feel like Whoopi ever gets near the potting wheel uh right so I think maybe it's the there I think the pottery the famous throwing a pot scene between the two of them where their hands get all uh, covered in clay which maybe somehow has something to do with something biblical like I feel like clay shows up in the Bible once or twice I'm not sure I didn't go to Catholic school but yeah wait are we made of clay. Are we, made, are, we made, are we made? Are we made of golems? Clay? Was that the thing? Are oh, we? Yeah, Der Gollum. We're like expressionist. God's like, oh no, I made monsters. I'll just leave that one there. I'll, Listen, let me make something we else. could write a thesis on that with or without <laughs> ghosts involved. Okay, this is fascinating. It's almost, and I, I'm going to suggest this to you. 
think about it. I don't know if you listen to Jonathan Goldstein's uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, heavyweight podcast. But in heavyweight, he has people people come to him with sort of mysteries from their lives um, and things they've been carrying around with them uh, that they feel conflicted about in some way. And he tries to sort of get to the bottom of it. And a lot of the time there's resolution among family members. It's a beautiful, very funny podcast. But I think if you reached out to him and said, my nun taught us the movie Ghost in school in a private Catholic girls school, and I don't understand why... <laughs> He would try to track her down or someone else who remembered that curriculum. And like that would be a magical episode of that podcast of you guys exploring how in. Yes, I will say it. The incarnate word. It was possible to utilize ghost in a Catholic setting. That sounds wonderful. I wonder if we could make it maybe a two parter, because I'd also like to ask him about my fourth grade teacher who had us all make a construction paper replica to scale of Picasso's Guernica. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that one, what that is the one that has never left me. Oh, I'm no. like, I did the screaming dying horse on fire. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Honestly, Fourth my, grade. Yeah, that Mrs. Erlinger. Honestly. And that's public school, if memory serves. It is public school. Greatest teacher I've ever had in my life. Like, I just want to oh, know my. everything about her telling administration she was going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess you have to. I guess you're not doing that under the radar necessarily, especially if it's like a physical manifestation with materials that other people will see. Oh, yeah. And it was big. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the actual Guernica in So it was Madrid. literally like, it, the yeah. So the proportionality was exactly the same and correct. Yeah. She wanted to teach us about gridding, but she really picked that one. Gridding! <laughs> I love everything I'm hearing right now. Uh, I Yes. Okay. Both of those things strongly encourage Jonathan Goldstein to get involved. Um, what was your friend, like, sort of what was your friend circle like? If you had one, maybe you were one of the people like me who sort of had this and this and that and over there and these people didn't know each other and all that. Or did you have kind of your group of people in high school that you hung with? Well, we were so small that you had kind of your group, but you really knew everybody anyway. It, we it. had like 117 girls in our class. Okay. Um, and then we, my group of friends all dated from the same clique of boys and that school was only like 25 people in our class. So it was very, very inbred and incestuous. Um, but yeah, my group was sort of a, I would say like a, like a floater eclectic group, like mm -hmm. two of the people in it had been like best friends since they were in elementary school. You know, they went up through Catholic school together and then I kind of barged in as a uh -huh. freshman and they were, they were the people who like did talented things. They were both in the choir. They were both very good singers. They both played basketball. I didn't do any of that, but I was their friend. So I just hung out all the time. I became like uh -huh. the basketball scoreboard keeper, you know, to be like, oh, we're hanging out. We're doing things. That's pretty charming. Yeah. And then we went to theme parks all the time. So we were just, a, we had um, uh, season passes to Fiesta, Texas. Okay. Which is, you know, our big theme park. And so when that opened and it was still pretty like empty-ish, we were just there all the time. We just got dropped off and dated every boy who worked there <laughs> we dated the guys who like swept the trash we dated the guys who gave us sodas when my friend showed them her boobs you know it's really classy <laughs> really classy stuff how is fiesta texas like a six flagsy kind of a thing what is the what is the vibe of that yeah park yeah it I, I believe when i was in high school it wasn't yet owned by six flags and now it is but its oh, okay. whole vibe is that um, you know, Texas lived under six flags. That's where the name came from. You know, France, Mexico, 
America. They think they I count wish the I could say I already knew this, but this is totally blowing my mind right now. Yeah, I don't know how much they talk about the Confederate flag being one of the six, but it is. And then our own flag, that's five flags. Uh, maybe Spain? Uh, I feel that sounds right. I'm missing it. Yeah. But wait, okay, so six flags originated in Texas. Mm-hmm. Is what you're telling me right now, and it, and and it owns the Six Flags moniker because Texas was known to fly Six Flags or to you know, I did not know this. I don't know any of this. Oh yeah, fun fact about Texas, at least according to everything I was told as a child in school over and over again, is we are the only state that's allowed to fly its state flag as high as the American flag because we oh. were our own country. Oh, so classic we have Texas. a lot of flag brag. Classic <laughs> Texas. Yeah, we're going to fly it at the same height. Yeah, we are. Might even secede. You don't know. You Who don't know. <laughs> like, oh, right now I'm like, oh, no, please don't secede. <clears throat> Go ahead. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, no, but I think I think my Fiesta Texas wasn't Six Flags when it opened. And so it was a theme park that was all about just the history of Texas. Uh, you know, there was okay. like the the kind of Mexican village, there was the cowboy village, and then there was like the 1950s seaside village, and I don't really know how that all fit in. Uh-huh. And so you kind of <laughs> went between the three and experienced what Texas is like. Okay. I mean, I is it, and it's still out there. It's still out there being, gosh, maybe I should go, having no interest in riding roller coasters any longer for a multitude of reasons that involve my body and brain being broken. But uh, I mean, it's still kind of fun to wander around spots like that. It is. And I've really been wanting to go back because, you know, um, my editor at the New York Times, he is a roller coaster expert. And like okay. he he centers all his vacations around going to places with new roller coasters. And yeah. I love hearing about it. So I was like, what's the latest in roller coaster technology? What's going on? And he says that San Antonio has the f- fastest ride without wheel bearings or something. It's something really technical, but we have a new uh-huh. ride that's supposed to go faster than any ride is supposed to go. And, and he's like very hyped on it. And now I'm like, I didn't know we were leading the charge in in a technology of roller coasters. No kidding. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I like the idea of maybe one of those, like, I remember at Knott's Berry Farm when I was a kid, my dad would drive us out to, like, d- do a Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland co-trip uh, in uh, February, which, as my listeners know, we, had, we have, and I guess maybe still have, Rodeo Weekend, Aww. where ev- no one else... Anywhere has that weekend in February off, like a a Friday, maybe a Monday, but even if it's just a Friday. Um, And so it's a great time to go to an amusement park because it's, you know, it's like dead season, but you have the long weekend because you are not going to the rodeo. And but I remember they had those like parachute, like they shoot you up in a tiny cage and then a parachute sort of opens and drops you down. Um, I don't know if that's like still there. But I do like the idea of a theme where two parachutes go up and like the um, there's a, one represents the American flag and the other represents the <laughs> Texas flag and maybe some other flags that don't get to go as high. And then maybe the Texas flag just goes like two inches higher <laughs> than the American flag parachute. And then it's, it's like a little bit of a fuck you. <laughs> that sounds about right. Like I would have to say when I left Texas. The the strangest thing for me to adjust to was that every other billboard in every other state doesn't always keep yelling about itself. You know, like <laughs> everything in Texas is like it from Texas toast to like Texas yeah. donuts, Texas bread, Texas proud, Texas this. Yeah. And maybe Tex Cal- Mex. Even te- yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think California's maybe just too long to put on signs, but like nobody else seems to be as insecure about declaring where you are <laughs> as Texas. <laughs> 
I love it. I mean, I definitely have like, you know, all the feelings that you can have about a, a state where people I mean, there's so many people I, I love in my life who came from Austin or Houston or Dallas or San Antonio. Um, I, I mean, and then you've got your like weirdo kind of like Waco is now kind of a great, cool place for film. And, you know, Marva's awesome. And El Paso I, is really dope. I've never been to El Paso. Oh, it's yeah, so I've never been to El Paso. I would I would very much like to do that. Um, and so it's it's cool because like when I first went there because I was dating someone in like when I was 19 or 20 who uh, who was from Texas and who moved back to Texas um, to Denton which is outside of uh, of Dallas and uh, near like a great music school for those of you who don't know. But um, that first trip, I definitely was like, I've, I don't know. Like, I don't hear great things about Texas. Like, I don't know about this. Um, the evolution of my feelings about it from that first visit to sort of how I feel now is like, I feel like I have more of a native's relationship to it, which is this sort of exasperated family member. Like, God, you're so great sometimes. Come on. <laughs> Be great all the time. Come on. You know? <laughs> no, I totally agree because when you have spent time in Texas and you realize how the rest of the country talks about Texas, you're like, that's not exactly it. You know? Yeah. That like yeah. I think sometimes I hear that there's just sort of like a people imagine a backwards mentality about Texas. Right. That when I'm there is more just like a stubbornly teenage, you don't tell me what to do mentality. <laughs> it's not totally. like old grumpy man. It's like, no, 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 You know, like everybody yeah. there is just very willful. Yeah. Yeah. And the places that it gets scary are like the, not, I wish I could say super small towns, but even just like smaller communities outside of big cities. And in some cases, big cities that where you have this sort of like, and I'm not going to take us on this bummer ride, but like the kind of endemic long-term like law enforcement problems where it's like the sheriff the sheriff could do, and this is true anywhere, but, you know, it's like the people aren't necessarily concerned about getting the right person in certain communities in Texas that I've seen firsthand where you're like, I mean, it's a little, that part is a little the Wild West. Like that part does feel a little bit like everyone in the system is like, I don't know, he was black. It seemed like a good idea to put him in prison. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of one of those places where when I was a kid growing up there, I was like, this has to be the best place in America to grow up. It's super diverse. You know, it's a, sure. a majority Mexican town. Um, like a lot of my friends are bilingual, you know. Um, totally. I was usually like one of the only blonde people like in a room. You know, same. Yeah. All of everything you're saying. Same, 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 same. <laughs> same, same, same. And so I loved that because it didn't feel like growing up in, you know, like how I imagined, you know, life back home in Michigan was or something like that. Which, but, by the way, I think you're right about, right? I mean, you're not. <laughs> I would hope so. But then when I left, I realized how many other cultures I wasn't exposed to in Texas. Yes. Like I had no Jewish friends. I didn't know anybody Jewish when I grew up in Texas. Can't help you there. Everyone in in Tucson who's white is Jewish. Oh, Not everyone, but a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. There's a big Jewish population in Tucson. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm always asking my boyfriend for information on the Jewish holidays because his mother is Jewish and he's sort of non-practicing but grew up with uh, some of the traditions. So I was like, what's this? When do you do this? Like yesterday I bought a box of... uh, Hanukkah cookies to like ice and frost because I'm very excited. We're like going to his family for Hanukkah. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I, I always feel very ignorant about that because of Texas. And it was very. Yeah. I don't know. I Yeah. I want to say it was like people talk to each other more than they do in L.A. But mm-hmm. then there were just kind of weird things that would happen. Like my best friend, uh, one of them like lived on, you know, the quote unquote bad side of town because uh-huh. her parents uh, ran a community center. 
Her parents uh-huh. are like wonderful, like Libby, like liberal hippie folk yeah. singers who Love. run a fantastic outreach center. You know, they're always like gathering gifts, giving them to the local community. You know, yeah. really great outreach. Um, but we when, we when we would go to her house and like drive around at night, you know, to go get donuts or something like that, we would get pulled over by the cops because they didn't understand what two white girls were doing in that part of town. And they right. thought we were lost or they thought we were getting drugs. It was always one of the two things. And we yep. were getting donuts. And it was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and she lived there. Which is so a type got- of drug, but a safer one. <laughs> yeah. So those things kind of stack up when you get older. You're like, oh, right. That happened. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hey, that's Ben. And that's Adam. And together we host a show called Greatest Trek on Maximum Fun that covers all of the new Star Trek shows. Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, Picard, Prodigy, Discovery, and any other Star Trek show Paramount throws at us. Come check it out for our funny and formative recaps of all the new stuff this Star Trek industrial complex churns out. It's in your podcatcher every Tuesday. Subscribe to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. Well, when you weren't scorekeeping uh, for a team, um, did you have above and beyond your friendships with those two young ladies and and your friendship circle? Like, did you have your stuff too? like, were you interested in theater or creative writing? Were you on the newspaper staff? Um, Obviously, I'm leaning into things that relate to things I know about you now in terms of being, you know, on a podcast talking about films and being a writer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're all, allowed all to, those you're things, allowed to have been interested yeah. in none you of them or me. all of them. Oh my God, okay. are you my therapist? <laughs> Am I Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost? <laughs> yeah, oh. all of those things. I did um, theater behind the scenes. I was a stage manager. I never liked being on stage. So I was yeah. like, you know, getting the props together, helping organize everything doing the photography for like our advertisements. I, photography was my thing really in high school. Um, nice. My school had a dark room and we had a weird schedule where you didn't have class a lot of the time. So it was, I don't know, very complicated. It was like a modular schedule where each class oh, sure. was like two 17 minute periods and there were 17 mods. Ed- anyway, you might have a day where you only have one class, but you're still on campus and you're supposed to yeah. like go to classrooms and do your homework but I spent it all in the dark room. So I was just oh, always wow. in the dark room, destroying my nails, uh-huh. you know, never using tongs <laughs> and doing photography all the time, which was really like a, cool. a seeding for how I got into film was just yeah. thinking about images. But yeah, that was my thing. We had a dark room in my house. Um, my parents like uh, put one in the garage and then they oh, would nice. find like topless pictures of my boyfriend in there and absolutely lose their mind. Um, <gasps> topless? <laughs> I, I it's not often enough that we get to hear men without their shirts on being described as topless. <laughs> I know. You're about to hear it twice because the reason yeah. I tried to start our school's paper and I quit our school's paper because they wouldn't let me run a topless picture of a different guy uh-huh. on our school on the cover of the <laughs> paper of our first issue. Um, because I love it so my much. school bought a boys' school. And I thought that was really funny that like the boys we knew were going to start going to our classes. Like they sometimes. acquired it, basically. Yeah. So sometimes like the guys we knew were allowed to come to our class, but not okay. very much. Um, and was and, it on the same campus, or was it like how did that work? It was about a ten minute drive away, a little oh, bit okay. less. Were those the guys that everyone was dating? For my group, yeah. So we were very Got excited it. about it. We we're very Got excited it. about it. Uh, and so one of the guys, I like photographed him topless wearing one of our uniform skirts and I was, and it was like a majestic pose you know like yeah. hands on his elbow look, look, like look what at. I'm hearing 
And I was like, this is going to be our cover story. We just bought this, our boys' school. We have to make a big deal out of this. And they were like, absolutely not, no nipples. And I got very upset, and I wound up quitting the paper before we ever had an issue. <laughs> so <laughs> taking moral stances for no reason was me in high school. <laughs> I love that. Is Does that translate to, because the only thing that I flashed to when you said that was, I, can't, I don't even know if I've told this story on the podcast before, but if, in 500 episodes, you'd think that it would have come up if I talked to people about their high school experiences. But I, I loved my sophomore English teacher, and he was someone I'd known my whole life because my dad was an English teacher, and I was like really excited to have him as a teacher. And it is, to this day, between my dad's class and my and Mr. Mackey's class, my favorite English classes I've ever taken, which I guess I did peak in high school from, a, from an English class kind of perspective. I don't have those feelings about the English I took in college. Um, but he got us deeply into poetry. He was like, he, he leaned strongly on poetry. That's where I like first fell in love with Dylan Thomas outside of A Child's Christmas in Wales, which I had always grown up with because my dad loved A Child's Christmas in Wales. But I got into a huge argument with my teacher about like <laughs> the meaning of one of the poems or something, some obscure Dylan Thomas poem that no one else had even bothered reading. And I like stormed out with my face bright red <laughs> of the classroom. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure there's other stuff going on. Like there may have been some hormonal stuff happening, but like... I was so furious. And that's exactly what I thought of. I was like, wow, way to take a stand on like a mild school issue. But I love that you're like, no, thank you. Not on my watch. Did you do that with other things? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When I was getting ready to say hello to you, and I know this is an audible form, I, but I'm showing you this. I found my memory book of high school. So I was going oh, through it. Wonderful. Like, oh, what should I talk about? Wonderful. And I found in here my most favorite thing that I'm so glad I saved, which is a demerit I got for being oh. sassy. Um, oh, no. Did, please tell me it says the word sassy on there. Oh, it does. You know, it had options, oh. tardy to school, you know, from violation, out of area, eating or drinking, chewing gum, disturbing learning process, disrespect of living pro- school property. Then this teacher checked other and wrote in her cursive being sassy. <laughs> it's hard for me now to imagine the teacher having a little bit of a sense of humor about it, but possibly also no sense of humor about it at all. I yeah, I was a, I was a jerk in the way that you were describing too. There's something that I miss about being a high schooler in that I had such confidence in my opinions and like that is yeah. right and that is wrong and I was going to tell people and now I'm like yeah. oh the world's so complicated and gray and I want to have empathy but I miss a little bit of that just like yeah. steel spine irritable teenager who was sassy. But don't but did you feel too like because that's something that I'm so fascinated by and I never get tired of with with like talking about teenagehood is this sort of amazing yin and yang of being like my most confident and my least confident. Like, does that do you relate to that? Like, how could I have been so bullheaded about that, but been like so crushed if someone didn't like me or so cru- or so nervous about what, you know, a choice I made in wardrobe one day, but then the next day be like, and I am wearing a house coat and I'm fabulous. Like, I don't feel like I was across the board consistent about the sassiness. Do you agree with that? A thousand percent. A thousand yeah. percent. I feel like I was riddled with every single insecurity under the sun. And yet... When I was pushed against the wall, I'd be like, absolutely not. No way. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and when you say that photography is what you got interested, what sort of took you into maybe looking at film 
more critically or, or in a, you know, with more detail and sort of appreciating it more um, was did is that when you did kind of fall in love with with film and become fascinated by it? And what form did that take other than like your relationship to imagery and photography? Yeah, very much like the first thing that ever really hooked me is uh, there was this magazine called Zillions when I was a little oh. kid. And Zillions was like consumer reports for kids, right? And so oh, they wow. would tell kids. This is the first time I think I've heard of it. Oh, it's so amazing. There's a couple issues online on like archive.org if you ever want to like check through it. Yeah. But it would explain, you know, here's how a commercial works. Like here's that that the milk in your cereal bowl advertisement is actually glue. And it would walk you through how you were being manipulated by commercials. Wow. And it was amazing. This never, is cool. It should exist again. It was the greatest magazine for kids. And it really radically activated me. So yeah. I got super interested in advertising and imagery. And then that got me interested in photography because it all kind of felt like the same. Like, how does an image manipulate people? Like, what yeah. are we doing with images to control how people are feeling? And then yeah. film just came right out of that. You know, what I went to college knowing I loved that. Mm. And then that's so cool. I'm just so I'm sorry. I'm like, I do need to look up zillions because the idea that you would be like speaking truth to power so young and to, and to have a magazine that's like, no, like we're not going to, you know, it's just very sophisticated and very cool. And when you were describing it, I was like, I feel like truly the first time like anyone sort of gave me a version of critical thinking like that about advertising or consumerism, or whatever was like women's studies class in like <laughs> sophomore year of college. Like it took me that long for someone to be like, you know, when you see a woman in an advertisement, you know what I mean? Like that's what it brings up for me. And yet the, it was a child's magazine. So I'm very impressed. But those moments of activism or like activation, sure. I guess I should say, yeah. aren't they just the most treasured ones? Absolutely. Like Absolutely. My dad was a lawyer and my mom was an educational psychologist who studied how children think. Mm, so the, com the combined force of them, I think, was why they seeded stuff like that in me as a yeah. child. They wanted they were hyper aware of yeah. of learning and they wanted to raise a very argumentative, independent child. I was an only child to make it even worse. Me too. Oh, mm -hmm. And then in high school, they were like, what have we done? She's a monster. Uh -huh. oh, no. <laughs> and now as an adult, I'm like, my boyfriend and I are in couples therapy to talk about my pathological need to be independent at all times. <laughs> yep. Everything you're saying is very familiar to me. Uh, I very appreciated. Okay. So what are you discovering in film that is really speaking to you? Are there genres that you're falling in love with in your in your teens and late teens? Um, what what are your favorite like movies and, and what are you drawn to? And are you going to movies and seeing them over and over in the movie theater and stuff? I'm coming to it in kind of a roundabout way because my family wasn't, I would say, like an artistic family. We didn't spend a lot of time like watching movies and I wasn't a kid who, you know, was renting the works of Robert Bassan in high school. Like some of the critics I know who are like, oh, uh -huh. yeah, I was always at the library. Like I lived at the movies. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't that kid. Like I kind of lived doing lots of other things mm -hmm. and um, came to movies sort of more with a seriousness, maybe junior, senior year. Um, and in that time, I was just really into retro stuff. So I was always watching TCM and there was a movie called uh, The Best of Everything. Mm -hmm. And it was this movie about like three women working in an office building in the late 50s, I believe. Um, Joan Crawford is in it as one of the bosses. And, you know, it's like their loves of their life that cheat on them and the people who get passed mm -hmm. over for promotions and one of the girls dies. And that kind of soap opera 50s movie where everybody's in pastels. 
Uh-huh. Hugely influential. Like I did my senior year class portrait trying on my own badly to imitate the makeup from that movie being like lavender oh. eyeshadow and yes. like black eyeliner. And it meant everything to me. Like yeah. I loved that. And then from there, really like the best film access I had at that time because I'm, I'm just old enough that I didn't have internet really in high school. Yeah. It was like very slow uploads and you didn't bother. Right. I remember like uploading a picture of the Smashing Pumpkins and it just took like an hour and I was like, well, <laughs> forget this. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like uh, Vogue magazine was always writing about interesting things and interesting movies. And that was really like my portal into movies that we didn't get necessarily in Texas or that I didn't know how to yeah. find unless I made my parents drive me across town. And they um, like made me so curious in things. And they wrote about a, how Pink Flamingos, the John Waters movie mm. was coming back into theaters. Yeah. And so that, I was like, we're going. And all of my friends, I dragged us to see that movie. And they were absolutely, like, horrified and angry at the part where, like, Divine eats dog poop. And they were like, you never get to pick a movie ever, ever again. But that was really my vibe. It was, like, classic stuff, retro, yeah. weird, very much into Pink Flamingos. And I listen to the soundtrack all the time. My f- When I was 15, a guy uh, was picking me up for a date, like, our first date. And all I wanted to do was see... Priscilla Queen of the Desert because Vogue had written about that too. Sure. And so he came to my house and he was like my my dad for some reason like flipped out about it. He was like you can't go see an R-rated movie. And I was like, "But it's wonderful." And he was like, "You absolutely can't." Yeah. And our church deacon was over at that time. Who was and like, is this so you were you Catholic like went to church Catholic or uh, the, this Greek is Catholic Orthodox. school? Yeah. Greek Orthodox. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it, got it. my mom is Catholic, but my dad is Greek Orthodox. And so this is like gotcha. our Greek Orthodox deacon. Um, gotcha. And he really stuck up for me. And he was like, she should get to go see Pink Flamingos. I've heard it's wonderful. And so he convinced my dad to let me go see this R-rated movie when I was 15. And then it became my favorite thing of all time. Or Pink, not Pink Flamingos. Sorry. Uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And Priscilla, then I, yeah. Yeah. When I got a car, I named it Priscilla. And that was my movie. That Like all capitals. Uh, there's and, and I don't want to like uh, limit the scope, but um, it's hard not to hear Priscilla and John Waters and think camp. Right. It's hard not mm-hmm. to sort of think camp and even Joan Crawford stuff where everything is sort of larger than life and fabulous in a way and heartbreaking in a way. So is that was that fair to say that like that you were attracted to that? Yeah, like, very not, much. not principally, but like that. Yeah, that that was something that because like for me, I definitely my version of that was definitely like. Hal Ashby and Robert Altman like that was you know I for whatever reason seeing you know like I got really into in high school I was really into like what weird shit were people doing in movies that you know what I mean like what I I, so that era of like 60s and 70s movies I was I was sort of like guzzling up and didn't really like know about like more camp stuff and um, so I'm always interested in like the things that you know suddenly we're like this is me this says something to me or about me or you know because I can't look back and go like well obviously Robert Altman's you know penchant for having conversations going on just off screen (laughs) that you're supposed to be paying attention to like I don't know you know I don't know why that seemed important you know wait that sounds so sophisticated now I'm like oh man I wish I had grown up as sophisticated as that I don't know if that's I mean I like I wish I could say that was you know, I, I mean, I've, a lot of it, I feel like, like can be traced to Harold and Maude and then just wanting to expand out from the feelings that that movie gave me. And like you find your little six degrees of separation of threads like, well, I love this actress and this and oh, she worked a lot with this director. And then this director has these weird movies that feel very adult and like, you know, for the same reason, like being in college and reading Margaret Atwood novels where you're like, I do understand the dissolution of a cold marriage. And you're like, I'm 18. Like, I've never <laughs> I've never been with someone for longer 
longer than like five months. Like, why do I think I understand this? But so I don't know that it's like mature as much as it is, you know, playing house or whatever you want to think of it as like, you know, do I understand this? Or is there just something more latent that's like trying something on, you know? <laughs> well, I'm still going to think of you as the most impossibly sophisticated teenager. So <laughs> no, that's no, engraved. No, no, no. That's, that's part of no, the no, history no, 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 now. No. <laughs> oh, no. I will never live up to that. In fact, I will live it down every day. Um, okay. So tell me about, uh, before I get into this MASH game, which I'm very excited to do, uh, relationships, you, you guys dated from a clique, um, but what, what was your sort of experience? Were you with someone for a long time? Were you um, all over the place, uh, like emotionally and sort of in terms of like liking this person and then maybe that didn't work out? And then, uh, what was that like for you? Yeah, I would say I was a very uh, intense serial monogamist where you know, a lot of like overly dramatic five month relationships We're like oh uh-huh. this is like everything oh this is everything I've ever wanted and oh you're the love of my life yeah. and oh I hate you and I'm never talking to you again how dare you Mario <laughs> that kind of thing like feels right yeah it, it was it was drama because you know it's um there was a ugh, probably the most dramatic awful thing was when I was a junior this boy who I thought was like very very cool and very cute and very popular and had a long time girlfriend broke up with his girlfriend to date me and I didn't quite know he was going to do that or why or what what was happening but he was wonderful and I thought so cool and he was like a singer in a band and I was like absolutely we're doing this and it was such a whirlwind that you know we had a friend of ours older brother pierce our belly buttons together as a sign of commitment (laughs) with a safety pin maybe three weeks into this relationship and we broke up about a month later and he got back together with his girlfriend and they got married and have children. So I was like the oh, okay. little blip in there, like the come to the dark side. His rumspringer. Yeah. yeah a little brief rumspringer. So there was That's a lot really of that. Funny. A lot of very intense, wild whirlwinds. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Oh my gosh, hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. It goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech on why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. I got to get into this MASH game. I am very excited to hear. Uh, I got to go launch right into this. Um, uh, and we will talk about, I want you to talk about, there will be a point at which it is time for you to very much expound on the the podcast that you're doing with Paul, which I have no doubt um, people probably, many people who listen to my podcast probably already know about. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to talk about it. Um, so for your first MASH category, three films that you would love to be able to jump into whenever you want. You're just, you're not reenacting the plot. It's just the environment of the film that and the feelings that it gives you that you get to enjoy whenever you want. Oh, yeah. Uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, for sure. So yes, I am the queen of camp. You know, the John Waters love movie it. where he's in LA in, um, and everybody's just like high all the time and dancing and throwing the most fabulous parties and wearing costumes oh, and yes. doesn't wind up well for most people. But I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I totally get it. Beautiful. Okay, what's your next one? Let's see. You know, 
oh, I can't even explain this. It's more like a moment. But the thing that popped into my head immediately was the scene in, in Edward Scissorhands where oh. all the yards have been carved into topiaries and he's out in the back making snow and it just looks so beautiful. I would just like to stand in that scene with Absolutely. Edward Scissorhands making snow around me and the choral music by Danny Elfman. The Yes, ooh. which let's not pretend that that neighborhood isn't also very 1950s and pastel. Oh, God, I really am. No, I, really I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, um, no, that's like the perfect, I mean, you know, the, the sort of like pristine and beautiful with like the darkness underneath is something that many of us uh, are like kind of love from a from a artistic point of view. Like those are two, those things together work really well together. Do you know what I mean? So there's a reason that, that, that they are successful and that they like grab us, I think. Um, what's number three? Please tell me it, it involves uh, the 1950s with a dark under, under thread. Oh, you know. No, don't have to. You know, no pressure. I'm going to go back two more decades. I'm going to go to the 1930s. And I'm uh, going to go to Footlight Parade, the a Busby okay. Berkeley movie. Oh, great. Where he just comes up with like the wildest things. And it's about a, um, it's about how movie theaters are trying to drum up business by having live acts before the movie starts. And oh, so it's wow. like okay. just dancers making incredible, crazy things. Yeah. And, and it's just these people choreographing these like routines with cats and waterfalls and mermaids. Amazing. And it is absolutely magical. And I saw that in a film class when I was in college. And it blew my brain like to me the 30s has always been the decade that i'm most kind of fixated on oh that's great okay i love that all right now this next category let's do three composers uh that you would love to have compose a soundtrack for your life so it doesn't exist yet but you're going to sort of as you go about your day you're going to have this kind of um score underneath composed by one of these three people that you would love to have compose oh well i mean danny elfman of course first i'll say that one right off the bat we just saw him play at the ball at the bowl, and it was yeah. I amazing. had a lot of friends who went, and we're like, "Oh, so good." And then the next one, I'll say, um, "Have you seen the movie RRR? That giant epic that's just the greatest time you'll have at oh, the movies all year." Yeah, From no, India. I haven't seen it yet, but I know. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I, it's absolutely on the list. It is amazing. The soundtrack is so dramatic and thundering. My boyfriend teaches a boxing class to it. And uh, it it was like his number one on the Spotify this year. Uh, So I'll say like the composer of that is M.M. Kiravani. It's just great. Everything you want. Um, Wonderful. And, you know, for the third one, I think I kind of want to do actually the soundtrack of Pulp Fiction, if that is allowed. Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Because that shaped me so much. And I love just like the eclectic mix of old and young and quirky and romantic and all of the emotional tones in that. That's a perfect soundtrack for capturing every mood. So I have to put that on. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. uh, Three foods that in this reality are perhaps you can't eat too much because it makes you feel sick for some reason or you're allergic or you feel it's ecologically irresponsible or it was something you had one time in a faraway place and you've never been able to like recapture the perfect flavor of it. Um, Three foods that in this reality, we're going to wipe all of that away. You can have it at the snap of your finger whenever you want. Okay. Uh, I'm allergic to bell peppers, but muhammara, that like red walnut dip, is my favorite thing on the planet. And I will eat it every month anyways and just suffer. Uh Uh, Two, I would say um, a really good steak, charred rare, because I eat meat once a month now, and I feel a lot of guilt on it. And and the guilt around it maybe makes it taste a little bit better. But yeah, that that steak, Uh, I I get a monthly steak. And so my monthly steak keeps me from eating 10 other burgers during the month. I appreciate that. 
And then my second thing, I will pick something a little bit weird, which is the first time I went to Moscow was like uh, 2002. Mm-hmm. And in Moscow, they have a bunch of restaurants from Georgia, the country Georgia. Mm-hmm. And Georgian cuisine is amazing. And they don't have a lot of it here in LA. Yeah. They, they kind of tuck it sometimes into different Rus- Russian restaurants. Sure. But I had this dish there called tzatziki. Oh, and yeah. it is cold chicken and walnut sauce. Mm. Absolutely marvelous. It, it's And I've never tasted anything exactly like that. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to track that down. Um, okay, great. All right. It's MASH. There's always some romance in, uh, in factored in there. Three people. They can be characters from books, films, uh, actors from different eras, anybody. Uh, this doesn't have to be a long-term thing. This is romance or sexy times in this alternate universe. Three. So I can have them just as a fling? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and it has to be a specific character or an actor? Oh, it could be actor. It could be any. Yeah, it can be any form, any form of that person, whether it's fict- fiction or fact, fact, fiction or fact, whether it's a factual person or a fictional, <laughs> a fictional person. I'm having a stroke. OK, great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, then the first the first has to be Clark Gable as Rhett Butler. Great. I mean, that impish look, that wink. Yeah. Um, great, great, great. The second has to be Idris Elba, but I'm going to go with Idris Elba when he was dressed up. I believe it was for a GQ magazine, and he was dressed like Marlon Brando. So he was like oh, Idris Elba, okay. Marlon Brando, which is just the best combination. Wonderful. On the planet. And then for the third one, as a running bit on Unspooled, we once learned that Jimmy Stewart was like the most sexually attractive person in per- it, like if you met him. Yeah. And that he had supposedly a massive you know okay so i'll go with jimmy stewart step aside milton burl <laughs> wonderful 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 okay this is very good to know about uh, jimmy stewart i gotta get i gotta get into some unspooled episode stat uh and then final question three places in the world where you would love to have a vacation home and it doesn't even have to be like quiet vacation it could be busy street you know, in the middle of a city vacation but three places you'd like to have a vacation home and we're gonna be able to teleport you there you don't have to like sit on a plane Oh, yeah. Okay. Number one is Kiev. My best friend and I went there, and it's the greatest city on the planet, and I cannot wait to go back when it is safe. Uh, It's wonderful. It's so imaginative. Um, The second is Buenos Aires. I love that town. And the third would be New Orleans, my favorite town in America. Great, 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 great. For good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, give me a word that kind of helps describe what you are proud of about Unspooled. Just like one word that helps describe what you're proud of about the podcast Unspooled that you do with Paul Shear. Uh Eclecticism. God damn you. I got to make this into a number. And I'm very impressed that you picked that. Okay. I got it. All right. I'm <laughs> going to come up with your 100% guaranteed uh, MASH alternate future. And um, I would love for you to take this moment to do a little mild vamping to unpack a little bit more about Unspooled and uh, and tell people where to find you, where to find it, anything else you'd like people to know about. Yeah, totally. Uh, Unspooled is a podcast I do with Paul Shear. You know him from a gazillion things. He's also the host of How Did This Get Made? How Did This Get Made is his podcast about terrible movies. And we do a podcast that's about wonderful movies. Uh, Unspooled started with going through the AFI Top 100. And when we got through all of that, we were like, you know, we've learned a lot, but we could cross 60 of these films off the list. Goodbye to mm. most of the World War II films, most of the most of the cowboy pictures. And now we are rebuilding a 100 list that we think is you know, more representative of everything that cinema has to offer and not just a bunch of dudes who are all friends who kept voting each other to the top of the list. (laughs) And so we have been using the last couple of years just to explore everywhere that our curiosity takes us. You know, it might be 
a ringu or goldfinger or you know uh halloween to think about a couple few like recent episodes the dark knight starship troopers night of the hunter one of the absolute best black and white black movies um white heat jimmy cagney going nuts but paddington too we just recently did um michelle yo's film super cop uh which is nice nothing but fun so 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 fun and i love it every week we are just uh running around and exploring different corners of the film universe. And it makes me really happy. We get very much into the research and history of things like, uh, so I'll just take a breath for a second. Sure. Like we recently um, taped an episode of Die Hard. And in the research for that, I wound up getting way into the research of of the actor who plays Takagi, finding out that he was a pop star in Japan in the 60s and pulling out one of his songs. And they're wonderful. So oh, it's a, it's kind of so a wormhole podcast where we take yeah. movies and then use it to talk about everything that we think is interesting. Oh, my God. So, 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 so good. I, I feel like I never listen to my friends' podcasts because I always want to talk back to at them and to <laughs> them. So I'm, it's now it's harder because I know both of you, and yet it's irresistible. And I 100% know that we're going to be listening to Unspooled on uh, many a road trip because Brandon's also a huge film nerd, so it feels inevitable. Um this has been so much fun. I'm very excited to tell you about the outcome uh, of your MASH future. Uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, I want to first congratulate you on your beautiful mansion in Buenos Aires. So Ooh! not bad there. going to just teleport you over there. Um, whether you are there or anywhere else, you can have a beautiful, beautiful steak charred rare don't have to feel guilty about it. Whatever happens in this universe, uh, no one's getting hurt. It's nothing's bad for anybody or anything. Uh, so enjoy that scrumptious, scrumptious meal. Um, you can jump in whenever you want. And listen, you're going to need that protein because you're going to be very busy. When you jump into Footlight Parade, there's a lot going on. It's going to take a lot of energy. There's a lot of dancing, a lot of stuff that you are going to be kept very busy doing. So I think it's wonderful that you have access to uh, to this food and any other food. Um, You also have a very different kind of vibe, uh, a soundtrack to your non-Busby Berkeley life um, that is scored by M.M. Kiravani. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Uh, Everything in your life is going to feel important because you have this like every moment, like I'm brushing my teeth. Yeah. Be ma, rama, be ma, will be happening <laughs> exactly. in my head. <laughs> exactly. And all of this is happening uh, with who I now know to be uh, Mr. <gasps> Sex Appeal <gasps> and Mr. Amply Endowed, <gasps> Jimmy Stewart. Ah, that makes me so happy. Yep. Yep. This is a beautiful picture that I'm seeing right here of this of this mash life. So uh, I want to again congratulate you on that and congratulate you on your fine work, your perspectives, your humor. Uh, cannot wait to listen to Unspooled. And y'all, I'm serious. You, everyone knows. Like the people I love most are the people whose podcasts I don't listen to um, because I love them so much. So this is a big deal. It's a big deal. I'm not making this about me. I make this about how brilliant <laughs> you both are. It's got to happen. Like, it's going to happen. So you may be getting, like, emails from me that are like, uh, just one quick thought. But I don't want to be that person because that's exactly why I don't listen. Okay. Anyway, it's happening and I can't wait. And I can't wait to discover new movies and discover crazy, wonderful facts about uh, films I already know I love. So 
Everybody, please do the same. Let's report back and uh, talk about our love of Unspooled. And uh, Amy, can people find? Did you say where people could find you online? I, I that I was maybe doing the math on and I missed it. But if you did, oh great. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the best way to find me online right now is just Instagram at the Amy great. Nicholson. I have not logged into Perfect. Twitter in a few weeks, and I don't know when I can drag myself to do it again. Understood. It, it, yeah, listen to that gut and feel free to stay away forever. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody. Thank you, Amy, and I will talk to you all next time. On on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the Baby Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, remember one We could save kittens from trees Or lunch on skyscrapers Bring the villains to their knees Maybe we should Move someplace new And build time machines To go and get us back